Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by Send It Philippines. Send It is the leading payment gateway in the Philippines. Allow your business to accept payments seamlessly from cards, e-wallets, retail outlets, and local banks. For more information, visit sendit.co. Also powered by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax. Also by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code hustleshare. There's always this kind of assumption that when you're in YC, you know, automatically you get funded. I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the hard thing. Before you get all those $300,000 checks, $1 million checks, there are a shit ton of no's. It's just as hard in YC. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. We are with another YC alum. You know, back a couple years ago, I still remember how I was completely blown away when PayMongo, you know, uh, ended the drought that uh, that we had in the Philippines. Because, uh, the last one, 
um, that been on YC has been Caliber, and that was eons ago. That's like 2011, 2012. And then Hey Mongo, oh, you know, just 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 opened the floodgates, and now every single time under a new YC batch, there's uh, Filipino companies that are now coming in, and this is part of the latest batch. And we gotta give credit where credit is due. Because we have the founder and CEO of Mad Eats, Miss Mikey Villa Rio. Hello. All right. So, all right. I know your time, your your body clock must be messed up right now because you're probably working Pacific time, and you're a little bit. A little bit. And you're you're back in Manila, or I don't know where you are, but it looks like you're in Manila <laughs> with the yeah. gloomy weather, right? <laughs> but again, welcome to the show. Congratulations. We are proud of you. Go Philippines. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. I love this topic because I am a big foodie. I love to eat. And there's nothing in my mind more than money is food. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to keep that. it real. Right? That, that's, a, that's always a good combo. But before I start getting carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Mikey, what's your hustle? Okay. Mad Eats is the modern day virtual restaurant. We're an online restaurant group that's built for delivery and we build affordable, scalable food concepts through our own ghost kitchens. That sounds so YC already. Look at you. <laughs> oh no. Well, I like, graduated now. <laughs> right? You know, but still, but man, is that how a YC should describe? Because typically a startup, like we're building a platform, blah, 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 blah. Jargon, jargon, jargon. But that sounds so YC and so pro. Amazing. All right. Before I get carried away I, and talk about YC, I need you to buckle up because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. Have enough All right, Mikey. All right, before we talk about Mad Eats, Cloud Kitchens, and a hell lot of food and tech and YC, I need to understand your origin story. Are you a mutant? Are you uh are you an Avenger? No, but I, I need to understand what was it like growing up like? Did you ever had an inkling of entrepreneurship or hustling or even food uh growing up and uh if we look back, what were that influences that drove you to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I am a robot. Just kidding. No. <laughs> um, I can um, tell. There you go. <laughs> no, um, I came from a very, very, actually, like a big family. We're a family yeah. of eight. I have five wow. other siblings. I am the eldest. Um, I basically saw my parents grow up. They got pregnant at like what, 22, 23. So they were still acting like teenagers. Um, I, I remember <laughs> like, I see them always hanging so out. You're at the Mikey. I'm at the Mikey. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, the youngest uh, sibling right now is only 15 years old, and wow. I feel like I'm the parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I guess like food was always surrounding me. Um, like mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, my parents just loved to feed us. In fact, um, my brothers are my brothers are way younger than me. I have a brother who's 21 years old or 20 years old, and he's like six six. Uh, so you can really see where the food goes, except for me. I'm the smallest out of the six. <laughs> wow. but, yeah. Um, yeah, my my mom is a, a superhero um, housewife. She cooks everything from scratch. Um, wow. But 
I guess like the the sense of entrepreneurship came way later in college. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm fast forwarding too fast. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So um, food was always there. My mom, my grandma, they're super in love with it. Like we never ever order anything for Christmas. Everything is just wow. like as in they make everything from the even leche flan. You can order leche flan nowadays, but they still tend to just make it on their own. Um, even oh bread pudding, God. we can order it from, you know, like big brands like Wildflower and all those things. But still, uh, my grandma chooses to make her bread pudding every Christmas, even up until wow. today in the pandemic. Amazing. Um, the sense of entrepreneurship really came way later. Uh, I would say um, in college when I really, really wanted to travel. I really wanted to go all around the Philippines. I'm a super, super beach freak. Um, I really love, um, you know, the road less traveled, badly put, that's so corny. Uh, But um, I also like mountain climbing and all those things. And I realized like my allowance was not enough to get Mm. me everywhere. And my parents are always like, you need to do your own shit. You have to find your own money and all those things. And and I was like, okay, fine. Um, so I even started like, I well, for one, I did this. Um, I sold cupcakes in college. Wow. My friend, I didn't even cook it. Um, my okay. friend just told me, hey, you know, I make cupcakes. And I was like, mm-hmm. you should sell those. And he, said, <laughs> <laughs> okay. and then he was like, I'm not that charming. So can you sell them for me? And I said, okay, I'll sell your cupcakes. And I would get 20 pesos for a piece for that cupcake. Wow. And I would sell it all around. I, I came from UANP, so that's where I would sell the cupcakes. Opus Dei. Now it makes sense why you have a big Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, you under- now you know. Like my now you- I didn't know that people actually know what Opus Dei is. Great. Yeah. No, again, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had a couple of people that worked with me before that uh, studied UANP that came from mm. Woodrose and all those things. Like, I only found out like probably a good four or five years ago that there is such a thing and I'm blown away. There you go. Amazing. Minimum, minimum four kids, I think. Yes, I heard. <laughs> Again, procreate literally. Literally. Or and multiply. Literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess like really it was um, in college when I started doing small hustles on the side. I even... Um, if I remember correctly, I even hosted a few events and like I really did everything from scratch. I, I was just basically, you know, like any project I could take back in college, I would do it. Um, sorry, like back, like in a later, later time, I mean, in earlier, earlier time when I was a kid, actually, um, I still wanted a sense of money. I guess like ever since, I guess like ever since I was born without even my parents telling me so much, I really had that sense of wanting to get more money i even made my own perfume um from already made perfume and i would put them in plastic bags and put it in a random bottle and sell it um i guess like my my imagination was a little too wild like figuring Mm. out like what to sell um and in college i studied in uanp i studied integrated marketing communications Mm -hmm. um, which is a very hellish intense course in uanp and i don't know why but um Mm. i would not Uh, it was a very intense course of really selling things to the maximum level, but at a brand marketing perspective. And no, like everyone there is known to not sleep. And that's like how I knew um, IMC even up until today. Like I remember only having like three hours of sleep every day. Starbucks um, World Drive is a place to be. That's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, but that was really when I really had that sense of selling and branding. Like the hustle. Uh, that. The hustle, yeah. I got really, really inspired by that entire course of figuring out like 
who's your target market? What are you trying to sell? And it, in some ways, it really connected a lot to what I learned in YC, which we'll discuss later on. Yeah. Um, because uh, it's really, really consumer and product centric, um, mm. that entire course. And um, and that's how, I guess, like my whole idea of entrepreneurship started. I didn't want to take an entrepreneurship course in UANP just because I feel like that's something that you can really develop mm-hmm. um, as a person on your own based on experience. Right. But um, being able to really sell and pinpointing like what product do you want to sell and who are you going to sell it to is something that you you know, it's like in your back pocket that you need to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a life skill. I always say it in the show. I'm obviously heavily biased because one of my first hustles, my very first job during college was a telemarketer. And that's oh. actually where I learned how to speak like this. I didn't speak like this. People are just like that. So it's imagine <laughs> if I spoke like this, I spoke like that. There's no way this podcast would be tolerable at best. But one thing I want to zero in, um, Mikey, is I've had a few... Um, hustlers here before that were also mm-hmm. panganay, right? That it's by by it's by chance. You have to be the role model. You have to be the the blueprint, and you have to hustle harder than. And you have, there's a big sense of responsibility, especially in a big family. Inevitably, there's always going to be competition because resources, attention, and everything else in between is scarce. Right, what was what was the impact of that with you? And then you couple that now with the life skill that you learned in co- college, hustling. What's the mindset like uh, that that you instilled after going through that process? <laughs> I don't know if my siblings are going to kill me. <laughs> if I um, yeah, since I was the eldest, uh, especially like I was uh, maybe uh, was I 14 or 15 years old when my mom said she was pregnant again? Okay. Um, and I was like, mom, you have to stop. And But that was when she said, uh, you're going to have to pay for her tuition like when we die. And I'm like, oh, wait, mm. hold up. Yep. Um, yeah, like I think that's also ingrained in like Opus Dei families too. Mm. Not, I'm not sure. Like I can't, I can't um, vouch for that. But mm. um, uh, that's kind of like ingrained like me and my, my the eldest brother, the second brother next to yeah. me. Um, where we were just tasked to like kind of take care of the family, and that's it's a little evident, um, just because the my parents were super strict to the first three, um, yeah. me, my brother, my brother, and then the latter three not straight baby. at all. Right, as in super babied. They want and now like they're in their teen years, and they ask, yeah. "Hey, mom, dad, can I go out?" And then they were like, yeah, sure. But when I was 15 years old, I couldn't even sleep over. My mom would get mad at me if I had bad math. Mm. So it was super evident that they feel like that we would pave the way of yep. how my my next younger siblings would grow up. Um, in, in some ways, there is a little bit of competition between me and my the, the two older brothers in some yeah. ways. But we try our best not to be in the same industry. So it's not that mm. competitive. Um, but you know, we always joke around like you're gonna pay for Raphael's tuition and you're gonna pay for Francesca's <laughs> tuition. <laughs> and I told them that I'm going to pay for Raphael's tuition because he's the middle child and he's almost done. <laughs> yeah. That's the gulang of a panganay also. <laughs> you get yeah. to cherry pick. There you go. You get to pick. I was right. always the president, so I can I can pick. Absolutely, but no, it, it makes sense, and that help. I've 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 also known again family, my in laws. I've I've seen the grit of a firstborn that really comes in with the sense of responsibility and not having failure as an option at all. Now let's talk about 
yeah, you, you know how to hustle in college. But hustling in college is different than hustling in real life. Because real life is a bitch. Okay? How did you now choose the first job that you would apply everything and all those sleepless nights into? My gosh. So after IMC, there was so much pressure to join either a huge FMCG like Unilever, PNG, or a huge advertising agency like PBDO, Macan, or yep. all those big names. And um, the first job that I actually landed was Dentsu Jaime Saifu um, mm. back like 2016. And honestly, I just lasted like five and a half months. I always say six months, but right. it was just five and a half months. And so I you probably eat, uh, didn't sleep again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. I, you know, like I, I, I always loved to hustle, like ever since like before, pa, but I don't know for some, like I always look back to my time in the advertising agency life and I always think like, why did I have such a hard time? Like why? I, I remember the first three weeks palang in, in ad agency life. I told my boss at the time, I want to quit. Wow. <laughs> and, and, then she was, and then she was like, are you sure? And I handled like, I managed like big brands back then. I, I was asked to manage like Jollibee already. Wow. Um, and that was my first job. And there was so much pressure. And I even like joined, um, I was in a project for Selecta and Magnum and all those other big names and then to Jaime Saifu was like really renowned. Yeah, it's like huge. So we have all these big clients and I didn't understand work-life balance. Like I remember crying in the bathroom. <laughs> um, but that's where it all started. Like I remember thinking to myself that I don't want to do this forever. I actually want to um, do marketing, brand marketing for something that I actually love myself, that I actually, mm. um, but you know, I do love Jollibee. I love Jollibee a lot. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, like something I actually created. So I like ad agency life gave me um, the realization I actually want to go into client side. That's interesting because, again, five and a half months. But if it was intense, it, w- it would have, uh, uh, you know, it, it would have really changed your psyche. And a lot of kids that I work now i feel so old i i'm a millennial by the way but there are <laughs> things there are things that i can't relate to with the younger generation where sometimes they come in and i feel like they're not really scratching the surface of how how far they can go out of their comfort zone right mm-hmm. and that's the key your first job should be hard choose the hardest one but you can that you can actually learn something fruitful, and that's what's special with you is you already knew where to find where you put where to put your hustle on. Sometimes mm-hmm. I see people just quit just for the sake of just because it's hard. You, they hit the first wall. But what did you learn in that process? Because it's it's important that you ask what with what you learned you ended up in a better situation than what you left. Because sometimes also the grass isn't greener than on the other side. You'll end up hurting yourself. So what was that like? No, yeah. So I mean, like one thing I really learned from the ad agency life is real life is way harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> way harder than, um, than uh, what you learned in college. And um, I guess like at that point, I wanted to figure out where to put, you know, all my eggs in, like all, like, and all in one basket. Um, like 
yeah, as in I like I want to work hard, but for something that I'm actually passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I guess like you know, creating campaigns um, for other clients is not necessarily my thing. So I knew that you know after after the ad agency life, I knew it wasn't going to be any easier. I knew that I just needed to put all my hard work into something that I actually love. And that was that was a long journey. I just, um, I had a lot of people to talk to. Actually, in fact, like um, when I quit my ad agency life, um, I met with a, with a friend who said, you should just start your own thing because I feel like you're really good at it. And then I said, mm. um, I'm not ready yet. And he said, well, you, you should go meet this guy that I'm really, really close to um, who, uh, who really likes building things. And I, I was like, sure. And I met this guy and his name was Luisia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's when um, I met Luis. And that's when he uh, it was explaining to me, you should come join my startup. And then yeah. I said, I'm not too familiar with startups and I don't really like building my own thing. So, um, but yeah, going back to that advice thing. Yes. Like you need to understand that, you know, um, if you're going to be working if you're going to go into that work life already, you have to understand it's going to be extremely, extremely um, cruel and hard and dirty. Nope. And uh, um, you feel lost 150% of the time, but might as well be lost in an island that you actually like. So That you fucking built also. There yes, you go. that where I put all the sand and the coconuts. Exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> what is yours? All right, now... Uh, be- that, that let's zero in on on that topic that you said that you know um you weren't ready. Now we're gonna breeze through this, and again we're not gonna get in trouble. But you worked for a couple of FMCG things, and again this go, um not FMCG FNB. Sorry, sorry. Okay, I always miss. I I always mistake it. FNB businesses, right? You know, and going through that process, I want to understand because if you said you were looking for, if you're looking to go all in. But you want to go with something that you're passionate about. Why FNB, and what are the things you learn out of those two stints? Because again, this is, I guess, the prelude to Mad Eats. You <laughs> fell in love here for sure. But what was that like? No, so after um, after Densu, I knew I wanted to do marketing still, um, but not just marketing. I also wanted to get into um, you know creating my own concept or uh, a product of my own. And um, I wanted something like experiential. Like I, I was always obsessed with figuring out what people needed in terms of like, you know, customers, what do customers need? And, but I wanted to see their faces in a, in a box and like see them interacting with a product. So there was no other industry than f and for sure. Um, like, to be honest, I am quite a small girl and, uh, you know, people always think I don't eat enough, but I actually really, really love the taste of food. I always snack. I snack. I snack yes. like thirty times in a day. Um, nice. But like, you know, um, entering a restaurant is the best way for me to really, you know, understand like what do customers feel when they enter this experience. And mm-hmm. of course, like I wanted, I thought about events, but I thought events was just so short. Like, you know, it's just a one-time gig, and then you move on to planning another event. But, you know, F&B is like you're trying to create a relationship with a dining experience and a customer. Yep. It was so exciting. Um, and I remember my mentor in UANP telling me that, hey, have you heard of this company before? Um, I'm sure you've eaten a lot of these brands. And I was like, my family eats in these brands all the time. Like, mm-hmm. um, they love all their food. And um, we and that's how I, I landed the job. And um, 
like in F&B, my whole F&B industry life, uh, I was tasked to really like do everything back to back. Um, it was kind of crazy. Like they threw me in there. I was first a social media manager. Um, mm. And I was just taking content and all those things. I was taking a dip into brand management a little bit. Um, and then I was talking to a lot of people from the business development side. And, you know, I was just an all-around girl. Like, if you need content, I'm here. I'll go there to that restaurant. Right. And then, um, you know, <laughs> free food all the time. Like, I, I was super, <laughs> I was in, I was How long, wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. There you go. Like, as in, actually, in fact, the first brand that I that I had to do a photo shoot for was actually um, Metra Uma. Uh, and Metra oh Uma is, God. yes, it was, uh, um, Bruce Ricketts cooked the whole thing. And then his sous chef was there and I ate everything on the table. It was worth like 7,000 pesos per dish. There was even a dish at 10,000 pesos. And I was like, oh my God, even though it was cold, I ate it. And I was, I was um, 21 years old and I was super ecstatic about my job. And then, but then I realized, you know, apart from digital, I wanted to really dive deep into what everyone else around me was working on, which was the food concepts. How did you not get fat? Because in my first job, no, no, probably second or third job out of college, I was with Groupon, 2011, 21 years old or 22 years old as well. And all I did was meet with restaurant owners. And my hustle was like this, right? Of course, I'll pretend like I, didn't, I haven't eaten there. And my hustle was, it would be like, so what's your best seller here? Of course, if they're trying to impress me because I'm trying to feature them in Groupon, they're going to feed me. And they're going to feed me three times a day for every single restaurant that I br- visit. They'd feed me. And I'm driving around. And that's where I gained around 30 to 40 pounds. <laughs> that's where I went fat. Because I kept eating good food. How did you not get fat? This is unfair. Life is unfair. Uh, well, you know, like uh, I like I said a while ago, I'm really tako mata. Mm. So when I see the menu, I literally order everything that really looks wow. good. And I love super maasim, super, super maasim, super spicy, super yep. salty food. Um, so I would literally get everything like on and then I would just take bites because I get full super easy. I don't know. And I, I love working out. Maybe that's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I forgot working out for a good decade until I just started working out again during the pandemic. But a couple of things now before we take our first break. If you sum up your old FNB, what are the hard skills that you then accumulated? Because you spent a good while here and then later on after the break, we'll be talking about the job. The jump mm-hmm. to entrepreneurship. We got poodled by Mr. Luisia for sure. But what were those key skills and key learnings that you built through your FNU journey? I think um, number one, uh, you know, food is an art. But when you're in FNB, you have to think food is a business. You know, like the, the mindset of any cook is to literally make any delicious dish and it's always going to be delicious but the next question is is it worth it in the kitchen and and is it going to sell Mm -hmm. um you know people always think that you know like all the netflix shows like chef um and ugly delicious oh my god i love those shows Mm -hmm. it shows the art aspect of food but f&b in the industry taught me how to turn it into a business that was the most important thing that we needed to control because the mind goes crazy creative when you think about food um, let alone a restaurant uh, so that's like one thing I really needed to learn I'll, I'll dig deeper on that what makes an F&B business because I've seen also a lot of it's it this is the sad thing I see a lot of good concepts but they don't make it 
the year they close out. What makes an FNB? Uh, what what separates those people that again who probably went in for the art just for the sake of creating it? Probably your unit economics are not good, their margins are bad, whatever that might be. Distribution is not optimal. But how does it become a successful business? What's the line like? You really have to listen to your customers. Like you know, you think that you created this super bomb dish and then nobody buys it, but you keep it in the menu. I mean, that's not going to work out. Like, you, that's going to really deteriorate also, like, what people think of your brand. Um, apart from the dish itself, it's the entire experience. You really have to listen to the consumer if, like, if they're having a, a good time in your restaurant, if they're, they, they have an easy time um, ordering your food or, you know, like, listening to your customer even though you think that you know um like this experience works out so well in your head but it's not working out well for them then yeah like it's a total misalignment and that's unfortunately like i do agree people come into this business thinking that it's going to be super artsy you can put all these cool things yep. in your restaurant but you know like if you don't listen to the actual diner um then what's the point of it you're just doing that for yourself then Correct, and I've heard I've heard this so many times in FNB. Like they always use this term: if you build it, they will come. Yeah, they will come, but will they re- keep coming again? That's yes. where the line is drawn. Exactly. Let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's talk about how you then became a mad founder to create mad eats. Let's talk about that more <laughs> after the break. Hey, hustlers! It's been over a year and a half since the pandemic has started and completely bamboozled us. Because it changed and altered how business is done in the Philippines. But if there's a silver lining that I've seen, the businesses and startups that thrive now are those who are not just digital, but also make it easy for their customers to pay them. And the thing is, no matter how great you think your product is, your startup won't scale and achieve real product market fit if you don't do an omni-channel approach in getting your customers payments. Now, we've discussed so many options of how to get that done in this podcast already. However, what if you can just get that done using just one product? And that's why I highly recommend that you guys use Sendit. Sendit Philippines is the leading payment gateway in the country, and they allow businesses to painlessly and seamlessly accept payments from their customers. And these payment channels include credit cards, direct debit, e-wallets like Gcash, PayMy, and GrabPay, retail outlets, and pay later. Now, I'm not going to recommend this if we are not a user ourselves. We use Sendit in Podcast Network Asia and getting payments from our sponsors and also disbursing money to our podcasters. Now, it's not just us because there's a lot of legit Filipino startups that achieve scale that are using Sendit to get this done, just like our friends from Kumu. Now, if you're interested to use it for your business or your startup, we're going to make it very easy for you to get started because you are a listener of Hustle Share, And that's why we're going to give you access to Sendit's SME program, which just send its org-wide initiative to help our SME customers grow and scale. Through this program, they will waive up to 1.6 million pesos per business and free transactions just by signing up today. And it's only applicable to new Sendit merchants and for transactions, excluding cards. So if you're interested, just click the link in the description box of this episode to find out how to join. So if you have a business or startup that's gaining momentum now, I highly suggest you start investing in this infrastructure like Sendit to allow you to scale, not just now, 
but for a post-pandemic world. All right, let's get back to the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate your growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with the mad titan, Thanos. No, it's kidding. It's, it's uh, the mad founder, Mikey. All right. The children, the child of Thanos. Again, who, became, <laughs> who eventually became the co-founder of Mad East. But before you became mad, I want to understand... Um, one thing, what you said prior to the break was very interesting because feedback is the most important thing that anyone that's on a problem solution fit phase of a startup, even in product market fit phase, the most important thing you need to get is feedback. Now, yeah. what type of feedback did you really get? Because you already kind of touched upon it a little bit. Uh, prior to the break when Luis told you that you should jump the ship. But I want to understand the type of feedback that really pushed you over the top to then, you know, um, go all in because you like creating your own island with your own coconut and sand in it. What made you do the jump? Because that, because most of the time, people get scared of this jump. And the longer mm-hmm. you delay it, the more scared people get. Yeah, so um, while working in F&B, my, the last job that I had before I actually jumped ship, that was during the pandemic. Um, and we were just tasked to turn this restaurant into just delivery only. And this is a restaurant that was really just focused on this whole dining experience. And that's what every 
like that's every restaurant's objective to have the perfect dining experience. And when the pandemic hit, it was that uh, all the shops had to close. This was like really as in the start of the pandemic and nobody knew what was going to happen. Yep. And I remember getting a text um, from my old boss that we should make a website that's just for delivery. And then I said, oh my God, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like I had to scramble to find some some engineers to work on this website and yep. like um, and my 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 co-founder now Andy who um, has been working with me for the past like four years now um, actually helped me uh, flesh this idea out and um, you know like I guess like I I got a lot more feedback than when everything had to be digital it was so fast mm. um, the moment like the customers get their food from this website. Yep. Um, they would automatically give you feedback right there and then, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or even a text. Even they I had some customers, as in me, the sales brand management head that time. I had customers calling me like late at night, uh, where's their food and all of those things. And, you know, um, that's when I really, really got all the meat of the feedback. Of course, I got some feedback like when I started F&B um, mm-hmm. from the operations managers and all of that, like um, customers giving comments, even in the digital space. But this one, if like you're, if the company just really became delivery only, the feedback is just instantaneous. And Correct. I got, I got some good experiences, some good comments um, from customers, but I also got really, 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 really bad ones. And the bad ones are what really inspired me to um, move on and like, you know, try to, I guess like um, get even more feedback from things that I've actually created. So okay. um, the really bad comments were all about like um, packaging, the look of the product, how it's not the same when it's being, when it's in dine-in. Yep. Um, the taste isn't the same. It's not hot. The hot dog's not juicy. The burger's not juicy. I had all those comments and like, you know, um, of course like I was super stressed about F&B is it's a very fast-paced, stressful job. Right. But the fact that it's all digital at that time, it just went haywire. And I that's why I have white hair. I'm joking. Right. But um, <laughs> she has blonde hair, by the way, right now. We're gonna have a snippet, so just check it out. <laughs> but yeah, that that's exactly um what inspired me to to just you know try like. I think the pandemic was the perfect time for me to try to do my own thing. In fact, um, nobody knows this, but I had a test phase of being an, a full-on entrepreneur after uh, working for that F&B company. I actually opened my own small vegan shop where I just sell vegan meat um, wow. on Instagram. and. That was it. Like I just tested that out while I was still working because I I told um, all of my friends at that time I was kind of scared to be a solo entrepreneur and to really rely on just my business to get money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that small Instagram shop grew. It, it's called it was called MadVegan.ph, mm-hmm. and um, that was when I kind of got the confidence, like. You know, and I did everything by myself. I had right. some help from, I had some help from um, other friends. I had help from Luisia. I had help from Luisia's mom. Um, mm. I had help from my mom. So mm. you know, like that was all bootstrapping everything, and that's when it all started. Like, okay, you know, I'm taking this seriously now. That's amazing. And again, when when you see that traction, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's an addictive drug. 
It's just once you start, yeah. it's like a red. I forgot which pill, but so, either the blue or the red pill. Fucking. <laughs> but you take that pill, you can never go back. You have to go all in. What made you go all in? That all right, uh, I've tasted. I've tasted mad vegan, but how did that turn into mad eat and turn to a tech startup? Okay, so there was this one. Um, you know, like I, I was just seeing my bank account grow, and I was thinking to myself, I've been sitting all my life in a chair watching everyone else's business grow right in front of me while I support them. That was exciting. I learned so much from it, but you know, the money never goes to my pocket. Um, and you know, I and then Mad Vegan was really the first taste of everything that I worked hard for actually going into my bank account, and um, it was more of a personal thing at that time. Um, but then, you know, like, uh, like one weekend, um, and I was really, really, really just extremely tired and I blurted this out, like me wanting to just, you know, grow on my own and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, Luisia, you know, Luisia keeps popping out in the story yep. because he is the king entrepreneur. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> he keeps, um, he kept pushing me to just do something and, we were just brainstorming and fleshing out ideas one weekend. Um, and uh, we just thought, like, why can't restaurants just be all digital? Like, that was the first thing that we thought. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was just a virtual restaurant, super cool products, super kick-ass photos? Um, like, like there was, this, there was an insight in Glossier. Have you heard of Glossier before? The uh, makeup brand. There, there yeah, yeah. Glossier is like in their series D, I think, or somewhere far. Um, mm-hmm. Female founder. I love the brand. And the, I, the idea there is that, you know, women can't touch their, they can't buy makeup without actually seeing it on their face. Um, but what Glossier did was they created this marketplace that it's it's all makeup, they, all the makeup that they made. And um, they made it super expensive extremely beautiful looking with swatches on the website and they just made the whole experience in a mall where you test out makeup right on their website and that's exactly how I I initially pitched it to Louise like I just want people to taste and want my food through the digital screen and it's just all for delivery and then you know Luisia being the smarty pants Mm -hmm. he was like hey something like that actually exists and then he, he searches up have you heard of Rebel Foods before? And I was like, never. And that's when it all started, like um, virtual restaurants, delivery only. <laughs> Amazing. Now, there, there's that opportunity. But again, most people who also don't take the job wilt at the, under that pressure. Like, yeah, I'll just uh, uh, do it later. I, and here's, here's, here's the sad part. I meet so many people before pre-pandemic where... They'd come up to me doing, hey, I'm doing the nightlife app or I'm doing the chatbot thing, right? And they'd say, yeah, I had the same idea. But that's what uh, separates the people that actually make it to YC and those people who don't, uh, uh, don't make it to YC. It's those people that actually took the leap of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Took the jump. What were the first few things that you did to take that jump in? What, what was the team composition that you had to do to make that vision to a reality? Well, the first thing I did was um, really search for a partner because I knew I couldn't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I, I think finding the right 
partner um, really gives me even more confidence that these, it's not just me who believes in this idea. Like I wanted some reassurance, you know, and it was just, a, it was just basically virtual restaurants. That was the only idea I had. Okay. So the first thing I did the night that me and Luis had a conversation, um, I made a very, very ugly pitch deck. And I always tell the story because it was really bad. And, um, mm. I, I take pride in like showing that to everybody <laughs> because I showed it to a lot of people. And I, um, so I fleshed out my idea a little bit. I was like, you know, food concepts, one platform, delivery only, um, direct to consumer. Like I was just throwing out words into one deck. Mm. And then, um, you know, like I was really, really ecstatic about this idea. I showed it to a bunch of friends. Um, the idea wasn't even fleshed out yet. We, like we didn't even have names. Like mm. we had like mad food not sure if that works out for the mass market. <laughs> like <laughs> we weren't sure if like mad would even be a good word to put into the company. Right. Um, we were like, don't you want it to be happy or something like that? But I was, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember like every, like after working, I would just like pitch this to a bunch of like all my closest friends. And I wanted to like, see if someone would bite. Um, even like Luis himself was like so excited about the idea. He showed it to a bunch of other people too. And, um, I and the first thing that I remembered was like, like why am I even in this long search for uh, for a founder? By the way, it wasn't that long. It was probably like a week. <laughs> it was like a week. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Only. Uh, yeah, like uh, wow. the week after we thought of this idea, um, the first person that I actually called was Andy Cruz. Nope. Uh, since I've been working with her for so long, I was like, might as well pick a partner who. Um, who I've worked with for forever, feels like forever. Um, and I remember uh, her coming over to uh, my condo and then I showed her this ugly pitch deck. And then the first thing she said was, gee. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And I'll, I'll just zero in on that a little bit more. Um, this, is my, this is my third startup now. Um, the first startup, I was solo founder that failed six, again, six years of doing that uh, hustling. But, and then second startup, Again, uh, luckily, I got to exit after 12 months I, after I put it up. So in my third one, this is the first time I've both both startups that I did prior to this, I was solo founder. Hardest shit ever, right? Because you don't have an alter ego or someone who can balance you out, right? And this time, I, I'm super confident because I have someone who I know I can ride and die with. But here's, here's the thing. It took me three startups to have that. And a lot of people that listen to the show are probably in the same boat as you, pre-partner, probably had a deck, but never get or never got to convince someone. Mm -hmm. What's the secret to get someone to commit as hard as you on a, on a business that's just a, a deck and a vision so far? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, um, I told them... I told the, my co-founders back then, there is no pressure at all to be a founder. Let's mm. just work on this together and see where it takes us. <laughs> that was the first conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always knew that they wanted to be co-founders anyways. Um, I feel like uh, to convince Andy and Keisha, uh, well, starting first with Andy, um, it was just because we, I knew that we shared the same vision and passion. 
the three of us were tasked to really turn the restaurants that we loved so much into a virtual restaurant, like focus on the digital space. Um, and they were like, they, they, we all played a big part in, in doing that. Um, yeah. And they, they were the perfect first people to tap. So the fact that I knew who was passionate as passionate as me in terms of like this specific idea was able to convince them in the first one second of me telling them, let's do something together. Got it. Um, I think like the second layer to that would be the fact that we actually did work together. Um, I really highly suggest for anyone who's planning to build their own um, company is number one, you need to have probably had some experience of working together. There's um, there's more room for uncomfortable conversations, Correct. which is very important. Um, and, uh, you know, um, you also know your work dynamic. It's not a mandatory, but personally for me, um, you know, it's a lot easier if I'm working with my best friends. So. I agree. Mm. Yeah. No, that's true. And again, shout out to my co-founder, Joseph Acuna, uh, who was my core sec. He was my lawyer in my first startup through Kickstart. And um, yeah, and we've maintained that friendship ever since, but this is the first time we actually worked together on the same team, right? But that's true because that, that shared pain, that shared perspective of, and mutual respect also is, is, is very important. It makes the job easier. So and don't be in a rush, I guess, if you're looking for a co-founder. Just, just like marriage, it has to be the right yes. fit, right? Because just like in a relationship too, it, if, it for, if it's for the majority of the time, it won't work, right? Agreed. So it, it's those intangibles and also, of course, the hard skills on the table. Because you, if, if there's redundancy over what you're looking for in a co-founder, say you're, both of you are devs and nobody's going to do marketing and everything else that... Uh, that needs to be done, that needs to be covered, then, then it's not going to work. Now, you have a co-founder. And how did you build product? And again, you had, a, you had an edge. Y'all both had, uh, or y'all had um, experience in F&B. So mm-hmm. that's a no-brainer. You know what to, what to do and where to go. But how did you build product? And what were the first products like? <laughs> So, you know, um, Andy is a chief growth officer. She's just, you know, she is brilliant at growing new concepts on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew, like, the next person that I wanted to tap was Keisha because Keisha is product queen, I swear. Like, any, she has a specific eye on, like, everything that she touches or wants to create. Every single touch point is designed by Keisha like ever since um, we were working together back in our first, com- the first company that we worked together in an F&B, I knew like she had a special eye. And the moment that I, like after Andy, she was the next person I called and um, I pulled out this, the same ugly pitch deck. And like, I know for a fact that <laughs> Keisha is very um, nitty gritty on design, but yeah. that one call, it, it was, we were, we haven't seen each other for like almost a year that time. And um, when I, when I saw her, I just pitched to her in the restaurant and then she said, gee, also, wow. <laughs> it's kind of great. You know, I, I mean, like, I, I'm just really too freaking lucky to have two people believe in my idea so quickly already. And like with so much confidence also, I'm, I must say, you know, no, like I think the three of us, our dynamic is we never really talk about how hard, uh, how, how much we're having a hard time. <laughs> we like the pain, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah. But, um, so Keisha um, envisioned, you know, the uh, the products that we are creating now. But 
you know, talking about like the first product that we created, uh, there was so much conversation about what to just what to start with. So um, one of my uh, friends, uh, her name is CB. CB um, messages me and like, you know, like I really love your idea. I have a friend who is a chef. And I was mm. like, oh my God, I need a chef. <laughs> I was like, I have Keisha, I have Andy, but now I need a chef. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and she was pitching to me. And this girl is um, a Master Chef Asia finalist. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. Um, and I want to meet a celebrity. <laughs> mm. And uh, and we had the first meeting actually in our first kitchen now. Mm. Um, it's in Giho Street. And um, oh. Yeah, wow. we're literally like right in front of Sagiho, uh, wow. which is, yeah. Um, shout out to Sagiho. I love Sagiho. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so after you get full, you get wasted across the street. Pre-pandemic, yeah. of course. Pre-pandemic. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, we met Lika. Her name is Lika Ibarra. Uh, crazy, amazing chef. Um, literally turns all our vision into actual food, edible food. Nice. Um, we met in that kitchen and then she was just whipping out a bunch of different things and like feeding it to us. And then, and then I, I pictured the same ugly pitch deck and I said, hey, like you don't have to commit to be our full-time chef. I just need your help to, you know, like cook a few concepts. And then um, it was like all project basis first. Mm. And like, we didn't even, we couldn't even think of like the first product yet. Like, you know, um, a lot. Of, I was pushing for cakes because like sweets would be like the fir- the best thing to sell to Filipinos. Yep. Um, uh, uh, like everyone else was thinking like maybe we should do like easy Chinese, you know, uh, make a cheaper uh, Panda Express, something like yep. that, or or like fire, like every day, like something like a little bit more elevated than Chow King. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we actually dev that we did Chow Time, um, mm-hmm. which is like Chinese is the hardest freaking cuisine to work on. <laughs> yes, I just might might say so myself. Like I freaking love Chinese food, um, but you know it's so hard to sell. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then Keisha just pulls out this photo on our Telegram group, I remember, of mm. this delicious-looking crispy fried chicken with a shit ton of cheese, cheese crack, like, all over it. Sorry, wow. cheese, just cheese. Not cheese crack yet. <laughs> and <laughs> nice. then she, she was like, um, you know, I, this is from Korea. Um, chicken in Korea is apparently extra, 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 extra crispy. That's what it's known for. Yep. Like, you need to hear a crunch. And then they have all these weird sauces that you can dip in it. And it's literally like you eat it on the street, on Correct. sticks. And then I said, shit, I think this should be your first product. Like chicken. Chicken is a classic product for every country. Every country. Yep. It, fried chicken works in like anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's any a market. universal language that people all understand. Fried chicken, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's how... Um, we were like, okay, so the first product is going to be this extra, extra, extra crispy chicken. Nice. But the goal, how the question was, um, how do we turn this into an extra, extra, extra crispy chicken? Nice. Uh, that was our brief to Lika, the chef Lika. Mm. Um, and then the first few rounds, we were all like, nope, not crispy enough. Nope, it's mm. too much like tempura. Uh, and like we told her, look, it needs to have the crunch. There needs to be a sound. And she did it after several wow. tries. It only took us a month to launch this brand, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. We thought of it in October. We launched it in November. And that was that was when it became too real. <laughs> All right. So now product team. 
but I want to understand. It looks like you guys went full on in this time. Runway. Let's talk about runway because if you didn't have, you're all going all in. How did you make this work and how did you put the fuel to, to make sure that you had that, that product and the team scales? Okay, so the first check we ever actually got was from Luisia. Like, mm. um, so he really, really pushed me. So, and he made it way too real by saying, look, I'm going to be the first investor. Mm. And then I said, you know what? Fine. Like, I think, and then the first check that we got was just $25,000. And it's a lot um, of money though. All right. It's a lot that, of money. Right. Yeah. But um, that was enough to get us the first kitchen and the first product, the first brand to launch. And um, it was me, Keisha, and Andy taking the orders. And Lika, just Lika, and her partner in that kitchen cooking the orders. You can only imagine how much chicken we had to sell in the first few weeks. But yeah. It makes sense. Now, last question before we take our last break. So great. You have runway. You have team ready to roll. Distribution is another thing that we need to talk about. So how did the concept of cloud kitchen uh, come to a fruition and how did you now distribute this amazing crispy fried chicken across all things because again FNB is stagnant at this time it's a pandemic everybody's trying to trash and claw right and you need to put the best product out there and, and if there wasn't orders again just like what you said if a dish was bomb it won't work how did you make sure that that does not did not happen and how did you get the traction and the distribution all down pat. So the, the, the first time that we launched, it was just the website and mm-hmm. like Grab Food and Food Panda. We thought about it a little bit later. Like we launched it maybe like two weeks after the initial launch. Mm-hmm. And um, like to be honest, in the beginning, we were just, you know, um, boosting random ads and telling all our friends and family about the fried chicken that we created. And um, actually the first customer was Keisha's mom who wow. ordered like 16 meals in one go in different what? addresses. I think I was just like, we haven't even thought about the operations of it all. Like we yeah. were just like, Keisha was like, ah, now we have to give my mom like, 60 meals or something like that. Right. And then you were, you were the ones like doing all the orders at that time. Like actually, in fact, um, I was in La Union while I was like picking the orders while Keisha and Andy were in the, in the kitchen packing the orders. I didn't know that it was going to be that heavy because uh, yeah, so it, it was just really, really crazy. But like the, the, we knew that when we were going to launch this product, it wasn't going to be perfect. Like okay. I think that the, that's the whole beauty of the ghost kitchen business model. Um, is that you have the freedom to launch something um, really, really quickly, but then iterate really, really quickly also. Um, obviously, like when we initially first launched, we thought everything would be smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, operations wouldn't be so um, heavy just yet. But mm-hmm. like, honestly, we were very, very shocked by the orders coming in. We do have some expertise in terms of launching new concepts online. We knew the right media publications to tap. Andy did the whole thing that she does best. Um, and, you know, we were able to get, like, the first few orders organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to get the first few comments also quickly. So the first week that we launched, we went back to the drawing board and fixed the chicken. So that that's how is we 
Amazing. All right, now let's take our last break and when we come back, let's now talk about how you went from chicken to YC. And, you know, what that experience was like. Let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, 2021 just breezed past us and I hope things are better for you during this pandemic because we're almost there and I think we're pretty close to finally getting over this hump. But the bad news is the whole dynamic of how business is done has completely changed because of this pandemic and you need to invest into new business models to make good investments. Now, for the past couple months, I've been on the lookout recently on what's the best way to buy Ethereum to start investing in this new thing called Axie Infinity where I can play to earn. And I found the best platform to buy and sell Ethereum with the best prices in PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange licensed and regulated by the BSP that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Through their user-friendly web exchange and mobile app, Filipinos from all walks of life can trade and purchase crypto anytime, anywhere. And they offer deep liquidity that allows traders of all skill levels to buy and sell crypto at the cheapest prices. So if you want to make your crypto work for you, download the PDAX mobile app on Google Play Store, App Store, or the Huawei App Gallery to start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as just 50 pesos by signing up at podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax or just by clicking the link in the description box of this episode. And we're back from the break after being completely uh, ruled out by this girl, the Mad Titan, Mike Villarreal, who could describe her chicken as extra crispy. As, as for, for context, we're doing this recording right before dinner and I am completely starving at the moment. moment. <laughs> why? Why do you do this, Mike? It's, 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 this hustle is good. You know, you know how to make people starve. And because eventually, what would they do? They would order. But one thing about ordering again too is, Mikey, when you started this out, let's not deny that you guys have some very legit competition as well. And the cloud kitchen space has been, you know, uh, the rave of the pandemic as one of the one of the most prominent uh, and most promising also um, uh, industries that are coming out of the pandemic. How did you carve out that niche? Uh, I mean, it's not any industry is not zero sum, but mm-hmm. you need to car- carve out market share because if you don't carve out market share, it's going to be hard to compete. I agree. I mean, you know, people in F and B in general, whether whatever business model you might be, they always say, um, "We're not competitors. We're all friends," and everything yeah. like that. <laughs> they always say that, um, right. and I completely agree. I mean, like everybody wants to help each other out in F and B, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, of course, uh, we do see that there are so many ghost kitchens coming up. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, in Maddie's perspective, we really have that traditional F&B mindset when it comes to creating a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really want it to be highly experiential. And we always think about, like, um, you know, is a customer really going to enjoy eating it this way? Like, is it in a random Tupperware box? Is it going to be a branded box? Is it going to be extra crispy? Will there be a sound? Is there a texture? You know, like, um, you know, exactly how we were thinking about it in traditional F&B. So yep. I would say that our, our our major competitors would be more like the, the F&B landscape. Like, all, like, if I have a chicken brand, it would be competing with this other chicken brand um, mm-hmm. rather than Ghost Kitchen um, on its own. So 
um, how we, I guess, like how we would differentiate ourselves is really that we really, really focus on execution, like the product itself. And we think about like, what do consumers eat every single day, every single hour? And then we turn into some sort of brand. Like, um, like for example, we know that Filipinos drink a lot of coffee and uh, we, they probably drink two to three times a day. And you're like, that's the perfect next brand to launch. So we launched yeah. it. So like the long-term game plan of Maddie is to be able to create these food concepts that are really engineered for delivery that gives you a good delivery experience. Hopefully, we're always trying to get there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, uh, like at the end of the day, we just want people to eat happily in their homes, Absolutely. like regardless of wherever you might be. So, yeah. That's amazing. Now, let's talk about happiness because it's hard to be happy if you don't make it to YC after applying. Right? <laughs> I'm, just you know, I'm just kidding. But again, man, I am completely blown away, right? Again, um, walk us through now how you differentiated because you're the only um, cloud kitchen, ghost kitchen model that I've seen from the Philippines ever crack YC. Walk us through this YC journey. And why did you even decide to go YC? <laughs> okay, so... Um... You know, like uh, I after the check I got from Louis C, our first investor, like l- smaller checks um, came in. Um, we were doing everything through a YC post money safe. Um, and, you know, like the fact that it's YC already kind of entails that, you know, we're going to start fundraising the YC way. Yeah. Um, and um, we got our first larger check actually from Justin Mateen pre-YC, yeah. which really, um, really, really made us like, really, really pushed us to fundraise and turn Mad Eats into not just this kitchen that churns out dishes for delivery, but, you know, to make it tech-enabled, to turn into an industrial kitchen and um, to create, you know, you know, more than just, you know, just more than just the, the, the food product itself, but even the platform itself. Got it. um, I mean, like, Justin gave us so much insight of what the potential of this business can be. Um, and so did Luis. And, you know, Luis, uh, came from YC. Um, and, uh, you know, he was just like the right person to tap in terms of mentorship for that. And the YCPH community here is extremely helpful in yep. terms of pushing you to actually try to apply because you absolutely lose nothing. You Correct. lose, you lose, you earn so much learning from the application itself. Okay. So, um, after the first two brands, uh, with very, very little traction, I would say so, like, it's not as much as now for sure, but mm. we were just like, this is basically just an idea. Let's flesh it out. We did a me, Keisha and Andy stayed up all night to make this YC application. We sent it to so many people, like not even YC founders, um, YC founders here in the Philippines asked for input. We got all the input that we got. And, um, I remember just passing it without even blinking anymore. I didn't want to read it anymore. Mm. I wanted to stop reading it. I kept reading it over and over again. Right. And, and then, and then um, like maybe three weeks later, that's when I knew that I, I was like thinking to myself, why, like even Luis himself was like saying like, I don't even know if like YC would be really into product centric, brand centric type of brands right now. Um, they mm. like tech stuff and all those things. And mm. I was like, yeah, you know, like it's worth a shot. Um, three weeks later, we got a, we got a, uh, yes, you were like, you get an interview. What? And, then, <laughs> and I, I, that was like the, 
we, we, I just felt way too lucky. Like, first of all, I'm a first-time founder. Yeah. Um, second of all, it's the first time I'm applying to YC. And the fact that I got an interview was just way too much luck. Yep. And I remember calling Keisha and Andy, and then you were like, oh my God, things are getting even more legit. Even though we already got our pre-seed funding that time, um, things were just like getting more legit. And we really got our brains together, created this whole strat- growth strategy on how we take Maddie's further. And um, yeah, we, we went through the interview. Um, mm-hmm. It was um, actually, it was with Michael Seibel himself. Wow. Uh, the, yes. Yeah, wow. I remember I remember telling Andy and Keisha, wouldn't it be way too freaking crazy if the first people who ever interviewed us in our first white <laughs> application would be Michael Seibel and also Gustav, um, who worked with Airbnb too. And yep. yep, there were their faces on the screen. It was four in the morning. Uh, and my heart was like beating so fast. And <laughs> didn't sleep. We did kitchen operations the week before, and then um, of course, FNB is like nonstop working. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, a couple of hours later, we actually got a no. That was our first no ever. So, wow. um, we didn't get in YC the first time. We only had two brands um, mm-hmm. and we had very little traction. And mm-hmm. I think like the reason why we didn't get in was because they wanted to see some sort of structure. Like, where will this virtual restaurant take you? Like, Okay. Is it going to be an app? How can you like you know compete with everybody else? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they wanted to figure like see that tech aspect in the cloud kitchen space, and that we did. Mm. <laughs> um, so like uh, three months after we after we got the no, the first thing that we did was we regrouped again, and then we said that was when I told them we need to be direct to consumer at least at this point and try Got to it. flesh out like how we can control the customer end to end and making sure that we really deliver that good delivery experience. Um, and the only way that we can do that is if we get a hold of the customer and actually get feedback instantaneously. Mm. And that's something that we, you know, like um, I see grab food and food banner definitely being our strategic partners for sure. Okay. But, um, and they really help us with growth. Uh, but um, in terms of getting instant feedback and insight and data, definitely like the the platform, our own platform really helps a lot. Um, so yeah, we applied again. Mm-hmm. And this time it almost felt like a joke because we got the a yes to an interview a few days later. Wow. <laughs> so it, it was like... Um, and I, I applied again with with um, no hesitation. I just I just told Annie Keisha there's really nothing to lose, and we were we were very curious and conservative with our money in the beginning. Right. Um, uh, and yeah, so when we applied that the second time, um, we got all the yeses like pretty quickly. When we and then we got the schedule for the interview. And it almost felt like a little comedic as if they were going to accept us anyways. Only because like the, 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 the person who interviewed us in that YC interview was the same person who was there in the first YC interview where we got a no. Um, so it's like they wanted to like, come, like we have a theory that they wanted to come back to check. Like, how yeah. are we doing? Um, and we got in. And I, I, like, it was the day after. It was... Um, we the call ended at five. Wow! Um, I woke up at ten in the morning because we really had to do restaurant operations again. Right. Um. I came out of the, I came out of the shower and I got this call 
and I had soap all over me, and I was just like, <laughs> and then, and then, um, uh, I remember like telling Luis, like, is this a foreign call? And he's like, no, 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 it's probably somebody trying to sell you something. And mm. I said, oh man. And then I, I answered it, and then he was like, hey, this is Brad from YC. Um, wow. Are you free for a call? And I said, oh my god, I started screaming, and right. that was the beginning of everything. Okay, now I want to zero in a couple of things. Because second time's always again. First time, yeah, that, that that's good. Okay, there, there's there's luck in there. But you you got an interview twice. Not a lot of people can say that. What was in the what was in the composition of the deck that you said you got feedback for? For those people who are again uh, don't have access to the YC mafia here in the Philippines now, right? What is the composition of a YC worthy deck that would probably give you a good chance of getting uh, interviewed. Yeah. Um, well, like for reference to there, there is no deck. It's actually an essay format application. Like, okay, so it's what so, in the essay? <laughs> it's, it's so long. Um, they just zero in on a lot of whys and hows. Um they zero in first a lot on the problem, and the problem has to be really crystal clear. Um, what is this one thing that you're trying to solve? And for us, like it was really, really clear that we just wanted to be able to create food concepts that people actually want to eat, like wherever they might be, in the most convenient way possible, in like high quality food concepts that are really, really scalable because we have ghost kitchens. Um, but mm. yeah, like zeroing in on that one problem that we just want people to have better delivery experiences. And how do we do that? Um, we do we create, you know, scalable food concepts that are really built for delivery. Mm. And then um, we, they zero in also on the why. Like, why would people want to come back to this? Mm. And in the YC application, you don't notice it so much, but they really focus a lot on the product, on the actual execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's like uh, one of the best things about YC. Um, that's why, I mean, like they say, make make something that people want, you know, that's like their mantra or whatever. And um, and that's exactly what they're trying to flesh out in the application itself. It. Um, how sure are you that this is something that people actually want? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. No, but okay. Pro tips. What were those things that you think you put in there that got their attention? Because I'm pretty sure there's thousands of applications that they go through. But what did you write in there? Did you use hieroglyphs? Did you use a cuneiform uh, as, as, as a way to get their attention? Because again, defining the problem, every entrepreneur wants to do that. I think probably has that, but defining it properly where you know oh it seems like this person actually understands the dam the real pain point and then the opportunity and how you're going to solve it matters a lot because if they a lot of people are trying trying to gun for that exact same pitch but there's Mm -hmm. there's there's a reason why you got the interview twice what were those pro tips that you'd probably zero into that people can try to replicate it Okay, I think the first time that we got the interview, it had a lot to do with the fact that it's the team. Um, got it. I think like the it was just a really really clear story of how me, Keisha, and Andy worked in F, traditional F and B, and we led the project to turn this traditional restaurant into delivery. And it was just like we like we were. It just seemed like to them we were the perfect people to launch something like Maddie's. Um, 
And I guess like the first time, it was just merely the idea, not much traction. And that in itself already interested them because the story itself was very, very clear. Like, Got it. Um, yeah, so it was all about like, you know, finding, like, like we were just the right people for the idea, basically. Got it. Now the second one, right? Got you in again. Well, what did anything change on the essay or what, what, what did you change on that one? I think we were able to flesh out a little bit more the product roadmap of Mad Eats. Like we don't just stop at creating scalable food concepts, but we make it a lot more efficient to really scale them faster. And that has a lot to do with um, the tech aspect in, a, in, in an F&B company. Um, I think what we also pinpointed there, like one of the pain points in a traditional restaurant is that there's so much room for um, human error, uh, especially when you're all shouting in the kitchen, like, I want my chicken, I want my rice, I want my french fries, <laughs> and all of those things. I've seen that firsthand. Like, it's super, super manual in a lot of restaurants. So, um, and I wanted to, you know, like, whatever I learned in the past, I wanted to put it in my kitchen and make it, you know, more efficient. And Got it. So that was like a that was a very very clear thing that they want like YC wanted to see like um, how are you really going to be able to to flesh this out um, and of course we we got we had like much much more traction then like we were just super hyper focused on that growth um, to prove that there is some sense of pre product market fit absolutely now is that also the same reason why you got a yes this time basically zeroing in on those things exactly yeah like. Yeah, the the we were we were explaining that you know this is not just gonna stop at a website. We want to build an app. This is not just gonna stop in the customer facing side, but we're also going to include. We're going also we're also going to build tech enabled solutions in the back end for operations. So those are interesting key features. Okay, now let's talk about YC in the flesh. So again, pandemic sucks. Yes, again, you don't get to fly out. It's a the last people I had here on the show was Dash Labs, and they 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 um mentioned how again impressive it was. But walk me through how you did the boot camp, remote again, different time zones Ooh. and all that. And what are the things that they even taught you? Because again, for me, I'm a self studier. I know Michael Siebel so personally because I watched so many of his videos <laughs> on startup <laughs> school. Right. Um, I never, I've never tried to apply uh, because I feel like, again, uh, probably uh, imposter syndrome. I, I've never tried again. We're kind of too late now uh, to, to throw a YC application. But what was it like working with those people that, again, teach the gold standard of startup execution in the whole world? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, like Nikish and Andy feel like we're way too freaking humble. Um, we were we were just way too shocked that we were even in YC in the first place. And I remember boot camp; it was just two point five weeks long. Um, but we like in the beginning, you were kind of shy to talk to people because you were like, "What the heck? The three of us are in food. We're not software engineers. We didn't graduate from MIT. We weren't yeah. from McKinsey, like or you know all those big names. You're just from the Philippines who right. really love food." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, um, boot camp was uh, was really really like a huge learning curve for us. A, a lot of things that we don't know, a lot. Like, uh, you might say so yourself because you are a third-time founder, but 
we are first time founders, so everything was really, really new um, and scary. Yep. <laughs> because so scary in your third time, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the feeling doesn't, doesn't change. It's feel like you want to throw up when things just really get shitty. Right. Exactly. Just higher stakes. The first time we, I mean, like we we got into this, like we thought we knew some stuff, but we came into this this bootcamp not knowing anything. Sure, I've watched a few videos on YC on YouTube, um, but this was a little bit more interactive. There was question and answer, but this was a little bit crazier on our end because you know um, it was remote. We were in the, in Manila uh, and we work in F and B, so you know YC <laughs> oh would God. be my God, like. Grab it, um, it would be like 12 to 3 a.m. Sometimes it would stretch to 4 or 5 a.m. because your brain is a like K-wire and you keep thinking. Um, and then we wake up at like, we wake up um, and then there's work. There's We have to go to the kitchen. We have to order supplies. We have to talk to our engineers. The whole works. Like I remember not sleeping um, for those 2.5 weeks. What's new? <laughs> <laughs> What's you not sleep? You've been doing that's, this in college. That's challenge, true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. I expected that I could manage a little bit more, but um, it was really interesting, like the things that we learned. It was like worth not sleeping for because it was highly interesting. And there were a lot of talks that were overlapping. So me, Keisha, and Andy would divide depending on our, our, our specialty. Like if it's product, it's on Keisha. If it's growth, marketing, business dev, that's on Andy. And me, literally everything else. Like we had a talk about, you know, mental health um, wow. and dealing with your co-founders. And I was the one who was present there. Got it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Keisha isn't product but her product specialty is food not necessarily product tech mm. but she still joined the talks on you know um how to build your product team properly what is what are the core functions of product design mm. um what do you have to look into like yc bootcamp was basically just teaching you all the core things that you need to know as a founder when you start building the actual team um, which is a little overwhelming because you are basically just a three-woman team at that time, yeah. but they're already th- you know thinking about the future and a lot of training on fundraising. Now, after again, walk me through demo day. What was demo day like? So you know, like um, the the scariest thing I think about YC is not even talking about to all these extremely brilliant, smart people who are obviously way smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the scariest thing is the that your group mates are also as amazing, and there's this pressure of the ten percent week on week growth, yep. um, which I find sometimes a little unfair because we were grouped with med uh, med tech biotech startups wow. uh, and their metrics for like you know two patients today but five patients tomorrow oh yeah this is my experiment but we were in food we were the only ones in food in my group and uh, our metric was revenue so um, wow. you can only imagine like we were like every single peso counted and even though it was just an internal target it was just something that we competitively wanted to hit and demo day happened um it and it's just me um filled with a lot of freaking investors celebrities even the first thing i did after my demo day pitch was i searched for ashton kutcher in the zoom call <laughs> <laughs> there he was i you just wanted him? to check in. <laughs> i wanted to like you know there. hey <laughs> 
Um, but it was it was just one minute. Uh, but like I think the the best thing about this whole demo day thing was that they have this feature in the back end that they can love a company, um, uh, join a company, like to to get hired or to invest right there and then. Wow. And yeah, like after after my one, it was literally just it was fifty seconds. Like my pitch was fifty seconds, and I got like over ninety, almost like a hundred emails. Of investors interested to invest, like I think that's like the it's crazy, like the magic of YC. It's just like automatic um, connection to all of those investors, and after that, like you have very very little window to to make sure that they're still interested. So I like the next day, no sleep again. I mean, like I have to stop saying that. What's new, right? There's always going to be no sleep, but <laughs> that's um, why you're mad. That's it. That's why <laughs> but yeah, like. Uh, I said my email so full, and I just literally message every single one of them, scheduling a call, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. All right, so now you're right smack in the middle of fundraising, and before I let you go, walk me through that experience now. Okay, so you know, like, um, there's always this kind of assumption that when you're in YC, you know, automatically you get funded. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the, you know, it's, they always think that's the magical thing, but um, I'm going to talk about, you know, the, the hard thing before you get all those, you know, $300,000 checks, $1 million checks, there are a, a shit ton of no's. Yep. And, um, and like, you know, um, it's just as hard um, in YC. Like, I swear, um, there there was so much optimism when I got the first 100 emails, um, but your confidence kind of dwindled out, dwindle, dwindles down later on as the weeks go by. Yep. And you know, me as a CEO, it's my job to be the punching bag. I am the punching bag. Every investor that says no, I get punched, not my co-founders, because I want right. them to focus on innovation and building. Yep. And that's one thing that nobody ever talks about. Yeah. I think. And like, uh, I remember having um, one day I had like four investor calls and all of them said no. And then at the end of the day, I was just like freaking tired. I wanted to go back to my rest. I wanted to go back to the kitchen. I wanted to go back to working on food concepts. I wanted to do what my co-founders were doing. Right. Um, but then I saw this message on YC. Um, somebody said, remember, um, never, ever, ever look at the why, always look at the no and then move on. And like, that was one thing that really stuck to me so that, you know, I don't get emotionally drained from all nope. these notes. <laughs> nope. You have to have a short-term memory because the buck stops with you. You have to provide. And again, it's another day, another chance to survive, right? And then to, to push through. And I totally agree. And regardless if you're YC and you're non-YC, you're going to have to eat nose for a living other than Matt eats. That's another thing that a lot of CEOs and founders actually eat because, again, that's the, that's the only food on the table <laughs> until, until you get your first yes. And sometimes all it takes is the first yes to get the, the dominoes to fall. Yeah. Again, it's an art and a science fundraising. Again, you're going to have to do a little bit of FOMO, a little bit of, you know, uh, it's poker in a way it is poker. You're going to, you don't reveal your cards. You have to create, uh, uh, an effect of scarcity that people would have to jump in now. And why now more than again, all the other startups that are out there, but inevitably as, as, as long as you keep learning and adapting everything that you get, because every single no, there's a why, right? But again, focus on the no. If you understand yeah. the why and put it into work, you'll have a better chance on 
the next one. So I wish you well. I'm pretty sure you're going to be announcing a million, uh, a couple of millions or whatever you're raising. To, and we wish you luck. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again. And we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. 
Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. But before, again, we uh, let you go, invite people over, you know, for what's up next. And if they are starving like me, where do they go and how do they do that? All you have to do is go to madeats.co. Um, that's our website. Or you can also check out our website, uh, our Facebook and Instagram pages, madeats.co also. Super easy. Um, we're also available on Grab Food and Food Panda. Search Yangam, Chowtime.coffee, Fried Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing and hearing and eating more about what you guys have been doing in the next month and years to come. We wish you well and good luck. But before I let you go, follow us in whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app or like Spotify and whatnot. And again, uh, we wish you well, Nike. And if you guys want to be con- uh, we did say some jargon to the show notes and the Hustle Share uh, website on hustleshare.com. And again, if you want to be part of the community and discuss how YC dudes are just built different, it's going to be the Hustle Share community on Facebook. Again, Mikey, thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.